0: Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. My name is Pastor Bucky Dennis. Why are we starting with Willy Wonka? Well, that has to do with our series called God Conversations, and we welcome you here to Watermark, especially if you're here in the first time, we're talking about some of the, the, the big conversations, the great conversations that we want to have with the people in our lives. And we've entitled the series God Conversations because that's really a part of the vision of our church, it's up on the wall here, to build a generational community that flourishes in God Conversations and, and shares the authentic love of Christ. And so we feel that we've been placed here as a church, and everyone who acknowledges Jesus as the leader and the love of their life has been put on this planet for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to share God's love with the way we live our life, the way we serve our fellow human, and by sharing our story, his story, uh, that, that God is real, God is loving, God is grace, God has this incredible opportunity, and he desires to be in relationship with each one of us. And so that's the reason this, for the this series, because as church gets out every week, um, you know, the church leaves the building. The church is not a building, the church is you, and you are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And every week, uh, church begins when this service ends, actually. When you guys go out into your workplace, into your neighborhoods, with your friendships and your family... God sends you out to share his grace and his love. And so we want to prepare ourselves and equip ourselves to have great God conversations. And one of the the great God conversations that's been talked a lot about, it's kind of in our world every day, is the issue of morality. That That is a great God conversation and a great question is morality. Is there such a thing as good and evil? Where does good and bad come from? Can you buy a scale like like Willy Wonka has, that says good eggs and bad eggs. Wouldn't you love to have that in your workplace? All the money we spend on hiring people, if you just put them on the good egg, bad egg, you could take care of all those interviews, right? What about when the guy comes to date your daughter, your teenage daughter, and he shows up at the door and he's got an earring? Do you want a, you want a good bad scale right there, huh? Would it be nice to have that? Is, is he down the shooter? or is he in the game, you know? Uh, what about when you go to a car mechanic? And he tells you it's going to be $2,000 to fix your engine. Can you trust him or not? Wouldn't you love a scale that said good and bad so you could figure that out? Well, that's the question of morality, right? How do we know right from wrong? Parents, how did you raise your kids with a standard of right and wrong? Where did that come from? Where did you get it from? How did you know? I was reading recently about a teacher in, in our educational system. And she was in a character training program in junior high school, and she was trying to teach the kids, you know, why it was good to be a good citizen, why it was good to take care of people. And one of the the, the students who was bright and brilliant said, why? And this teacher was a woman of faith, but the system said, you can't mention God. And she said, I have no why for you. I have no answer. I have no reason why you should be good or bad. And that's really the, the, the crux of the conversation when we talk about the issue of morality. Um, where does it come from? What is it about? And how do we get it? How do we arrive at good and evil? Is there a standard? And where does it come from? Where do we get it from? And how do we know the difference between right and wrong? Uh, we want to have great conversations. This is our, our series uh, verse, our anchor verse. It's from 1 Peter three fifteen and 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And that's kind of what we want to posture ourselves as God's family in the issue of God conversations. Uh, A great conversation begins with a great question. That's kind of what we've been equipping ourselves. Here's a great question. Where, Where does right and wrong come from? I mean, how do, how do, how do we, who, who has the scale, and where does it come from, and how is it derived, and how, how do you understand right from wrong? It's a great question to have a conversation. What about the question of origin? Where did we come from? Ultimately, where do we come from? How did we get here as human beings? The question of origin. What about the question of meaning? Where does purpose, how did you find your purpose, or where do you derive purpose and meaning of life from? Where does that come from? And the idea of destiny. What, what happens when people die anyway? And you know, there's great answers in the world for that. All religious systems have answers to that. Uh, the secular naturalist answers that in a certain way. And we want to give a reason as Christ followers for the hope that's within us. How would we answer that question, uh, knowing God's truth, in a very respectful, loving way? Because we don't want to be in a proclamation situation where we're just kind of forcing truth down people's throats. That, does, that doesn't work in our world. And that turns people off, quite frankly. We want to be in a conversation. We want to hear their worldview. We want to understand where they're coming from. And we want to respond with respect and love and grace because we're not trying to win, you know, an argument. We're trying to love a person that God loves very deeply. And so that comes with respect and prayer and responding to God because Jesus is the Lord of the conversation, He's the one that's working in the person's heart. And so this is kind of the ideas behind that. And today we want to talk about the issue of morality. What about right and wrong? Where does it come from? You know, that was a, there was a pertinent issue in first century Israel when Jesus was doing his ministry and traveling and teaching the word of God. People would come to him and ask him questions. Questions and dialogue were a part of the Jewish culture. That's the way you learn by dialogue, questioning, asking more questions. And there was a rich young man... And he was into morality. Why was morality so important in first century Israel? Because first century Israel is steeped in Judaism, right? The law was given to God's people. And God's people were trying to figure out what is the moral path to righteousness and blessing. And there was a real challenge in first century Israel because Israel was being ruled by Gentiles and pagans, and people were trying to figure out why, and one group that was a very moral group were called the Pharisees, and they said the reason that we're being ruled by pagans is because we're not righteous enough. We're not good enough. We need to practice the Sabbath more. We need to do more religious works, and the Messiah will come, and we'll be blessed with righteousness in the kingdom of God, and so this man here, he wanted to go to the Willy Wonka, spiritual Willy Wonkas of his day and say, am I a good egg or a bad egg, <laughs> right? Uh, can, can you look at me and tell me what, what what things do I still need to do so I can achieve the right kind of righteousness so I can be in the kingdom of heaven, I can be accepted by God? A moral question, a question that is still relevant, even though our world is dominated with secular naturalism, atheism, in in terms of the educational part of it. There are a lot of people that are very spiritual and still ask those questions. Am I good enough to get into heaven? Good people go to heaven. That is is the religious question that this guy is talking about. As Jesus was setting out, excuse me, as a man was setting out a journey, uh, a man ran up to Jesus and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do? What things do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? Another question, interesting. He answers a question with a question. Rabbinical, dialogue, conversation. Why do you call me good? For no one is good except God alone. What is Jesus pointing this man to? Because he has this religious question about being good enough to get into heaven, to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, You know, only God can answer that question. Man can't answer that question. That's a huge conversation right there. Do we derive morality from our own understanding? Does culture give us some morality? Is it about an evolutionary process where we derive morality? Does man get to decide morality or does God get to decide morality? Jesus is saying, only God can give you the standard. Only God, because he's the only one that has the meter, because he is good, and only he is good alone. You know, this man came to Jesus because he thought he was a good teacher. Jesus is pointing him to another reality, that only God is good. I would encourage you, if you're a seeker here, and you're asking for wisdom, you're exploring Christianity, to read this book. This book talks about who Jesus is. It explores his life, his teaching, and what it claims to be. And I would encourage you to start in the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The life of Jesus. The Old Testament all points to the coming of Jesus. The New Testament after the Gospels is the outworking of Jesus' work. His death and resurrection. And the church movement. But the Gospels are the meat of this book. Because it's all about the life of Jesus. And you, know, every Gospel writer who knew Jesus, who walked with him said Jesus never claimed to be a good teacher. See, the secular naturalist wants to put Jesus in a religious box and say, Jesus is just a good teacher, like Buddha was a good teacher, like Confucius is a good teacher, like like anybody else is a good teacher. We're all on a level playing field. The Gospels do not put Jesus in that box. The Gospels say Jesus was way more than a good teacher because a rabbi in first century Israel would have never received worship. You know, that's blasphemous. And yet Jesus received worship. A rabbi in first century Israel would never say that he was eternal. And yet Jesus said, before Abraham, the start of this movement, I existed. A rabbi would never say, you know, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am one with the Father. Jesus made way bigger claims than just being a good teacher. He claimed to be a good God with skin on he said, if you destroy this temple, this body, in three days, I'm going to raise. He claimed to have the power over life and death. Jesus made way more claims than just a good teacher. You can't put him in that box. And so that's something I would encourage you to explore and dialogue with people about. I think Jesus has pointed that. I, I'm, more, I'm more than just a good guy. I, I'm God with skin on. <laughs> Do you understand who you're talking to here? Let, I'm, he answers his question. Only God can answer that question. I'm going to answer that question for you. He's claiming to be God. There's an absolute standard. What Jesus is going to say is there's an absolute standard of morality. In our culture today, morality is relative. That means everybody gets to decide what their morality is. If you want your morality in terms of spiritual, sexual purity, you get to set it wherever you want it. If you want it here, you want it here. It all depends on what you like and what you desire. You are the standard for morality. And nobody gets to judge you or tell you what to do. There is no absolute standard of morality. It's called relativism. And that tends to be the philosophical milieu of our day. But Jesus is saying there is an absolute standard. And it comes from God, the morally good God, the character of God. The standard comes from Him. It comes from a personal being, a personal God that desires relationship with you. And you know that's uh, important in the conversation with the world about Morality and a God conversation. Because the question is, can we be good without God? A lot of atheists bristle at, at spiritual people or even Christians that say, you know, only God is good. And an atheist would say, well, no, I, I can live a good life. Matter of fact, there are times when I've lived a better life than religious people. There are a lot of atheists that live more moral life than Christians even do. W- what is the conversation about? I love Dostoevsky, who was a Russian author. Uh, he, he was a very wise thinker, philosopher. He said, without God in the future life, everything is permitted. One can do anything. He said this way before this conversation in the current world. He looked back and said, you know what? If you don't have God, you can do anything you want to. You can, you can make up any morality. You can do anything, and you can say this is good, and this is bad, and you can do Anything's possible without God. Now, what he wasn't saying is that atheists are less good than believers. He wasn't saying that. Atheists can live moral lives. Many of them are good people. Other religious systems, there's good people. There's truth in other religious systems. There's moral truth in other religious systems. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that without God, there can be no moral feelings. People have moral feelings. This is right to do. I should do this. I feel like doing this. Nor, nor can there be moral behavior. People that don't know God can do good things. What he is saying is that without God, there can be no moral obligation. No moral ought. No moral standard. Nothing to fall back and say, the reason we do this is not because we feel good or we do some good things and that's a good thing. The reason we do this is because God says we're supposed to do this. That's a moral ought. That's an obligation. If not, then everything is permissible. Everyone can develop their own morality. And you know, atheists, if you talk to many atheist philosophers, they would say that's true. That's true. Here's a guy here talking about the secular reality in this question of morality. He's an atheist. His name's Julian Baggini. He says, for the religious, spiritual people, Christians, at least there is some bedrock standard of belief that gives a reason to believe that morality is real and will prevail, right? There's something that we fall back on, right? God is good. God is righteous. God is holy. He tells us to love our neighbor. That's why we do it. Not because we feel like it. Not because we benefited from it all the time. It's because God calls us to do that. That's what the religious has. And then he goes on. In an atheist universe, and he's an atheist, morality can be rejected without a clear, compelling reason to believe in its reality. And that's exactly what happens. This is an atheist saying that morality, it's out the door without God. If God does not exist, therefore objective moral values do not exist. Once you take God out of the picture, all you have left are feelings or socially constructed norms. Uh, but who is ultimately to say what is right and wrong? Why did we send our boys in World War II to the Normandy Beach to die? Because it felt good or because, you know, it's just the right thing to do? Why did we believe the Holocaust was wrong and eliminating a whole class of Jewish people, six million Jews? Why do we believe that was wrong? Because we fell back on an absolute standard that human value has, human life has value. We came out of a Judeo-Christian ethic that said, this is morally wrong, and we've got to stand up and do something about it. Without that, absolute, anything is possible. Rape is possible in some cultures. Hey, that's okay, you know? Uh, we, have, we have two classes of people and it's okay, rape's okay, terrorism's okay, you know, killing babies is okay, right? Without an absolute standard, how do we decide? And we see the horror of that. And you know what? In the current conversation with some of the new atheists, they're starting to recognize. Sam Harris, who's one of the new atheistic teachers and others are starting to recognize there is a moral standard. There is something baked in to every human being. There is something. And what we would say as Christ followers, yes, there is. Whether they acknowledge God or not, they have a conscience. God has put a moral reality in their life because we are made in the image of God. As image bearers, whether we acknowledge God by faith or not, we have a moral compass. And it's evident to all. It's self-evident. Why do a vast here's a great question to ask somebody, whether they're an atheist or you know, pushing back on faith, a lot of people think it's cool just to throw away faith and just out there floating in the world today. And and here's the question: why do a vast majority of human beings believe that torturing babies is wrong? In any culture, in any setting? When you ask something, the vast majority of people, yeah, wouldn't you guys raise if is 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 torturing babies wrong? Raise your hand if you think it's wrong. I, I think Probably 90, 90, 99%, 100% would say it's wrong in this room, right? Well, if you go in other places, maybe this is not the right sample set, but everybody pretty much says that. Why? We would say because we're image bearers. God has put his conscious, a moral conscious in our hearts. Romans, when Paul wrote this, he talked about this. He said, indeed, because he was talking about the Gentiles, the Gentiles who don't have the law, they don't have this holy book, Yet they do good things and righteous things. Why why is that so? Indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also are bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accuse them. Why do we have guilt Everybody says guilt is bad. Well, no, actually guilt is good. Some guilt is good because it's a part of our moral compass, right? To redirect us back to right behavior. Why do we have guilt? Sometimes our consciousness accuses us. Sometimes it defends us. We want justice. Why do we cry out so much for justice? Because we have a moral conscience inside of us that God baked into us because we were made in the image of God. That's what a God conversation, if you want to come From a philosophical understanding is, yes. Why do people acknowledge that? Because God put it in us. And you know what? This leads us to what's called the moral argument for God. This is a philosophical moral argument for God. This shows an atheist many times that his worldview is inconsistent. If you're claiming, like some of the new atheists, that there are absolute standards and good standards, doesn't that fit more with a good God versus a, 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 a big bang? And a a whole evolutionary process is about survival of the fittest? I mean, how did love thy neighbor spew out of the Big Bang and we get that all of a sudden? If we came from monkeys and other things, how of a sudden are we singing Kumbaya and love your neighbor? Where did that come from? It doesn't fit with the evolutionary story. Your worldview is not meshing. This is a great conversation. Not to judge, to ask them to think about their worldview. If God does not exist, then... Objective moral values don't exist. We'll hand you that. But if you're willing to acknowledge, like some of the atheists are today, that objective moral values do exist, doesn't it logical then, therefore, a good God exists? This is called the moral argument for God. And you know, only Christianity, if you want to talk about uniqueness and distinctive, only Christianity claims that that good God took on skin and became a person and walked among us. No other religious system has that. God actually comes to be with us in this situation that we're struggling with, and that's Jesus in front of this rich young ruler. The question is, why why the law? Why the moral standard? Ultimately, what's it all about? Is that law there so we could achieve somehow? That's the religious answer. We have the law so we can become righteous and achieve God's acceptance, right? Here's the laws. If you fulfill these seven things, you have a chance at heaven, right? If you do these steps and come to this form of enlightenment, then you'll come into this bliss and this incredible thing. That's that's a moral thing that's based on your actions and your efforts to earn an eternal blessing. Jesus, this moral teacher who says only God is good, is going to give this man an answer. Is he going to give him the moral answer? I think this is a powerful thing. What is Christianity? Is it a religion? Here's what Jesus says. You know the commandments. Here's the law. It comes from a moral God. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things. I'm in, man. I'm the good egg. <laughs> I'm going to make it. And Jesus says, Well, let's go a little bit deeper. One thing you lack. Jesus has... The ability to look in somebody's heart and see what's truly in the heart of man. And he says, uh, and he loved him. This is an answer of love. He's speaking the truth in love. One thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words, he was very saddened. He was grieved, right? Because he was really rich. He had a lot of property. And so here's this conversation. Jesus gives him a moral answer but the moral answer says, hey, you need to understand a little bit more. You don't measure up to the standard, which is perfection, right? There are moral absolutes, but why did God give us to them? You know, there's 613. There's, we think about the Ten Commandments. You know, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. You got, how are you guys doing? Keep, keep, I mean, that's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> 613 moral obligations? That's crazy. And yet, a righteous Jew felt like he could live up to them, right? A Pharisee felt like he was, this man probably was a Pharisaical Jew, and he thought he was righteous. He thought he'd achieve the standard. He wouldn't ask the question. He was looking for an attaboy affirmation, right? And he didn't get it. Um, did, did God give us the moral law so we could become good on our own? You come to church and read the Bible so you can become good on your own. Do you check off boxes and say if I do enough, if I give enough to the church and I do enough works, God's going to accept me? That's called religion, right? Is that what Jesus came to proclaim to us? Did the, it was the law given to us so that we could become good, or so that we would trust God? So that we would trust God, the, Laurel, the moral law reveals the true state of our heart. This man thought he was. Achieving goodness, and Jesus put the mirror of the law, and he could see in his heart that he had missed the mark, like we all do. What ultimately is, is the ultimate transgression that we all fall into? The ultimate transgression in the Bible is idolatry. It's, it's not necessarily that we do these little bad things, it's the fact that we love something more than God. And, and if we put ourselves up to that standard, I think, you know, I'm a pastor, guys, but I have loved things more than God so much in my life. I've loved money more than God. I, I come from a very wealthy family. I've had money. I've loved money more than God at times. I've loved building the church more than I love Jesus at times. I've loved building the church and my reputation more than Jesus at times. I, I, I've, I've loved uh, my, own, my own pride more than I've loved my wife at times. I have loved other things More than loving God. That is the core of our fallenness. And this man is hiding behind religion. So many of us hide behind religion. I've done these things and I'm okay. You know what part of the religion we hide behind in America is money. I have money, therefore I'm okay. You know how many funerals I do and how many funerals I go to? And guess what? Everybody goes to heaven. Every funeral I've ever been to, everybody goes to heaven, whether they're religious or not. He was a good guy, he was an American. He paid his taxes. He worked real hard, so therefore he goes to heaven. That's the moral answer. That's not the answer that Jesus is giving. Jesus is not giving this man this answer. He's showing him his heart to show him that there's a different answer. Morality can't get you to heaven because we all fall short of the standard. God didn't give us the standard so we would earn our way. He gave us the standard so we would start to look at him because he wants a love relationship with us that's what we were created for to trust and to know him jesus offers us a different goodness it's his goodness that's the gospel our goodness is not good enough but jesus offers us his goodness so the man walks away and the disciples are dismayed because when they saw this guy coming in they're saying look at that guy he is blessed by god he's righteous He's perfect. They thought, the disciples looked at this guy, he's the poster child for heaven in Israel. And Jesus says, no, you don't see what's truly in your heart. And so Jesus is looking around his disciples, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they love their wealth more than God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus basically saying there? It's impossible for us to get to heaven in our own efforts and our strength, no matter how rich we are, no matter how good we are, no matter how successful, it is impossible for us on our own morality to get to heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is saying, then the disciples say, well then, who can get into heaven? It's impossible. And Jesus answers with gospel. This is Christianity, it's not a religion. It is relationship because of gospel, good news. Christianity is not a religion based on our own efforts. It is a relationship based on God's grace. Jesus made our goodness possible by fulfilling the law, by living a perfect life, dying for our sins, and offering us forgiveness in his own goodness. Jesus is saying man's goodness is not enough. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's why I came to make eternity possible through my own goodness, not your goodness. That's gospel. That's different. That's uniquely Christianity. It's called grace, unmerited favor. It's not something you can earn. It's something you accept as a gift of God's love for you. This is what Another Pharisee wrote about Jesus. His name was Paul. He was a rich young ruler like this guy was. And he encountered Jesus' grace. And he accepted Jesus' grace. He was transformed. He was a very moral religious person in Judaism. And here's how he said he found grace and the opportunity to have eternal life. He said, but now apart from the law, apart from moralism... The righteousness or goodness of God has been made known to us, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. We are made righteous. We are good people because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for our sins. And he covers us with his own righteousness. Sheesh, sorry. He's the one that makes us good. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no difference between Jew or Gentile or any religious system. It's all about a relationship with God. For all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's holy moral standard. Right? Every person has. We all fall short of perfection, God's ultimate goodness and awesomeness. For all of us have sinned and fallen short. And we are made justified, made right freely. See, that's grace. By His grace through the redemption that came in Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus took the payment, you know? The wages of sin is death. He died for us, for our failures, for our lesson, for our brokenness, for our shame. He took that on and now he offers us forgiveness and eternal life as a gift of grace. And so we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. God presented Christ As a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And so as we close our service, we want to remember some things in this conversation. We want to remember that there is a moral standard. There is an absolute moral standard. Moralism is not relative. It's based on God. But God didn't give us the standard so that we could become righteous on our own. He gave us the standard so we could see into our hearts and realize that we needed God. We needed a relationship with him. We needed a savior. We needed his grace and his love. And so when we open our our heart to that, because he gave it to us, that's why Jesus came, we receive the gift of eternal life. That is the gospel. That is the ultimate place where we want to lead a God conversation to. And how, how do we share that? We share that through our own story, our own brokenness, our own sin, our own failure, and how we found Jesus, how we found that grace in our lives. And, and as we come to the communion table today, we realize this is a celebration. This is not a moral effort. We don't come to this table and say, if I take communion, therefore I'm justified. I take communion because I'm justified. And this, is, this is a celebration. It's a thankfulness for what God did for us. And we respond to him. And we thank him and we worship him out of love. Because we have this love relationship. We don't do it out of pride or fear. We do it out of love. So I want to pray for us as we come to this table. Um, yesterday, I I buried a young or I did a funeral for a young man. He's 21 years old, and uh, unfortunately, he took an overdose of drugs, and it took his life from him at 21 years old. So, how do you answer that question for the parents? Did my drug my son's drug overdose? Did that disqualify him from heaven? Did, did, did that take him out because he wasn't good enough? That's the moral question, right? Was my son good enough or not good enough? And fortunately, the answer was, it, doesn't have, it didn't have to do anything with your son's goodness. It was about the grace of Jesus Christ. This young man had accepted Christ as a, a young boy in a youth group, and his friends came and talked about him, and one of the girls quoted Francis Chan and said, he was my friend. And you know, Francis Chan said that Because of Jesus Christ, the day of death is better than the day of birth. The day of death is better than the day of birth because Jesus Christ has forgiven us and we are morally pure and we're going to go into heaven and be with God, not because of our works, because of his grace. That's what we celebrate here. Even in death, even in failure, even in struggle, God's grace is way bigger than all of our sins. And so we respond and say, Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Thank you for giving your body and blood that we might be free and justified and forgiven. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for sending your Son that we might be made whole and pure, that the moral question for us has been answered. We are free and we're forgiven. Even though we sin, even though we fall short, we thank you for the standard because that standard has led us to you. It's been a tutor to lead us to a Savior. Thank you so much. Lord, those who are carrying condemnation, and failure, and guilt, may they leave that at this table here. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Those of us that, Lord God, you're calling to follow you and trust you, may we, may we partake of this table and say yes to you, Jesus, and thank you for your body and blood. Heal us, make us free, and help us to walk out the law in a loving way, not in a self-righteous way. We thank you so much for the healing and grace. That comes through your name, Jesus. We celebrate you. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. We have four tables. Just come as God calls you as we worship. Grab a piece of bread, dip it, and celebrate the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.